When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you start measuring a sense of belonging, that's that psychological safety. People in an organization can never reach its full potential unless they have a strong sense of belonging. Welcome to Change Your Mindset Podcast, where it's all about believing in and executing on different and innovative ways to strengthen both your leadership and communication skills to help increase your success, and especially in today's disruptive business environment. One of the most effective ways of building stronger leadership and communication skills is by embracing the principles of improvisation. (laughs) Yes, that's right, improv. Your host, Peter Margaritas, is an improv virtuoso. He's also a certified speaking professional and a CPA, also known as the Accidental Accountant. Each episode of Change Your Mindset is designed to bring you different and innovative ideas, thoughts, and behavioral changes on a variety of differing topics, with the sole purpose of strengthening your critical soft skills. We may call them soft skills, but they are the hardest to master. And when we do, greater success and growth is the result. So jump in and start changing your mindset now. Let's start the show. Welcome to the Change Your Mindset podcast. My guest today is Joey Havens, CPA, a partner at the accounting firm Horn. However, he's not your typical accounting partner because Joey has an unwavering passion for unlocking the full potential of others, and he embraces his true life calling. Joey just isn't a numbers guy. He's a catalyst for transformation and growth. At the core of Joey's philosophy is bold transparency. He fearlessly challenges leaders to peel back their layers and reveal their hearts, fostering a genuine connection within their organizations. He understands that when leaders authentically communicate the why behind their mission, it sparks a fire within every team member. But Joey's impact goes beyond boardrooms and executive suites. As a sought after presenter and facilitator, he ignites a culture of belonging wherever he goes. He captivates audiences with his engaging style, delivering powerful insights on strategic planning, leadership development, and cultivating extraordinary teams. There's something about Joey that draws young professionals in. It could be his infectious enthusiasm or his ability to simplify complex concepts. Either way, he's a go-to mentor for emerging talent, guiding him through the ABCs to outstanding success. Once again, Joey isn't just a CPA partner. He's a catalyst for personal and organizational greatness. So brace yourself for a transformative journey under his guidance. This podcast is part of the C-Suite Radio Network. Turning the episode is sponsored by Peter A. Margaritas, LLC, also known as the Accidental Accountant. Are you looking for a speaker that can bring powerful content, virtually or in person or on-site, that is memorable and engaging in a way that motivates and inspires your audience? Instead of data dumping and numbing with numbers, imagine your people and teams delivering a financial story to your stakeholders. A story that creates engaging and relationship-building business conversations. 
Would you be interested in learning more about how that is accomplished? How would you feel if the value your facilitator provided your organization far exceeded the dollar amount on their invoice? Peter Margaritas, CPA and Certified Speaking Professional, delivers all of the above and much, much more. All of Peter's programs can be done virtually, in person and on-site at your location, or at an off-site venue. Send Peter a note at peter at petermargaritas.com and or visit his website at www.petermargaritas.com to learn more about what Peter can bring to your next conference, management retreat, or workshop. Let's get to the interview with Joey Havens. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Um, I've got a very special guest, and he's the—he's a two-timer on my podcast. I interviewed him a little over a year or so ago, and he was in the process of writing this book, uh, uh, Leading with Significance. And first and foremost, Joey, thank you for taking time out of your very busy schedule to spend some time with me on the podcast. Oh, Peter, it is absolutely my pleasure, and I can't thank you enough for the opportunity to do just that. Well, I'm going to take a little sidestep here to start this podcast off because you sent me an advanced copy of this book some months ago. And I sat down and read it cover to cover within a very short period of time, which is honestly, Joey, I usually don't do that. It usually takes me sometimes a year to get through a book. And I just I just consumed and devoured this whole thing. And it it gave me chills. And, and one, how vulnerable you are in telling your story about how things changed at Horn. And the, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and how it all came out to the end. I mean, I, I think this is one of the best books on culture that's been written in a very long time. So I just want to give you a big shout out at the beginning of this. Going, thank you for writing this book. I, I and as as we were talking in the pre, I want to get some copies for you because I've got some par- I got some partners and some firms that really need to take a hard look at this book. Uh, Peter, thank you, thank you for those kind, kind words. I really, I don't even know what to say, but, um, but thank you. Oh, you're welcome. And Kentucky, and you can say something really nice about the Kentucky Wildcats as, as it was. <laughs> they, <laughs> the Wildcats did great until they ran into the LSU Tigers in the baseball. Oh yeah, I was I was following that as well. Uh, so let, let's start off. And in the book, and you talk about this a lot, that good culture is not good enough. And that has kind of been a mantra or a statement of yours for a while. So tell me more about that. What does that mean? So, Peter, it starts with when I interview people or when you talk to people about their company or their culture, what are they going to tell you? It's great. Yeah, <laughs> it's good. It's great. It's because it's part of our identity, you know. It's our company and we're making the decisions around it. We're an owner and man, um, I just did a, a presentation to about 300 and, and, I, and I asked that polling question. 93% of the people there said their culture was good or better. 93%. Mm-hmm. And so rather than argue with somebody about whether they truly have good culture or not. I think we're at the point in time where it's easier to understand whatever we've defined as good culture is really not good enough to carry us forward. We're not winning the people battle. People are quitting accounting. People are leaving accounting. Uh, 
young talent is not choosing to go into public accounting. And so the whole point is, not only do we have to tell a better story, we've got to create a better story. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that, uh, in addition to saying good culture is not good enough today, look, it's not about if you have good culture or not. It is about how good can your culture be? How good can your culture be? And, and having that be better mindset, uh, because culture is the soul of your organization. I mean, it's the soul of your organization because it's not only what you believe in your values, it's your actions and what people see and what they experience and what they feel. And it includes the behaviors you allow. And that's what that's what really drags good cultures down is the behaviors that we allow over time. We make exceptions for different things. Can you give me an example of that, that how these behaviors that uh, are deemed are pushed down? Sure. You know, we appreciate our people. We love our people. We put our people first. But we've got a partner that nobody wants to work on his engagements. <laughs> uh, and he's he's been a partner for many years. And he's got the highest turnover rate of people under his tutelage. So you don't you, you don't have to go any further than that because most firms have a toxic leader. Yeah. And those you are allowing that individual because usually they're a big business developer or they have a big book of business, a personal book of business that's profitable. And so we allow Fred or Bob or Peter or Joey, whoever it is, we allow them to abuse people. And they do it in different ways. But the point is, we're not having the conversation that says, Peter, you know, your people uh, feedback is uh, really bad. Very few of our team members really want to work on your clients. And these are the behaviors that are leading to that. And we've got to get on a path of correcting that, or we've got to find another way to have a win-win. Uh, in, in, in my period within this profession, those difficult, critical conversations, we are not the best. CPA is not the best. Partners aren't the best. And giving those types of present of, of feedback, basically, yes. and it's almost it's almost like if I give it if, if I don't address it, maybe the problem will go away. And that's really the wrong approach because that doesn't set up to your point. Uh, set up a good culture. It, it pulls your culture down, and yeah. I will say this: I think you're right. Conflict, conflict avoidance is a cancer in our profession. We, we really have trouble with radical candor because we're nice people. But truly, I try to get people to understand you're not being nice when you're, you don't tell the truth to people, when they're surprised by things. And um, conflict avoidance is a, a big issue 
in culture. Uh, it's one of the things that we found at Horn that was holding us back. And I still don't believe we're very good at it, uh, but we're better at it than we were. That's a step in the right direction. So let's let's take a journey back to when you decided to write this book. Let's even no, let's take a journey back to when you were changing the culture at Horn. And I remember reading, we talking about this, and, and I think th this was really interesting because you went on somewhat of a listening tour to all the branches and talking to all the managers and, and so on. But you took something with you. You took some rope with you. Tell us about the rope story. Okay, the rope story comes in when we decided flexibility. This is a great discussion because it's so <laughs> relevant right now. Flexibility we identified as the number one challenge for the profession, the number one challenge at Horn, and the number one challenge for us to really have, be attractive for talent and have the ability to do exponential growth. Flexibility was the biggest opportunity we had. It was also the biggest challenge we had. So when we we didn't know how to solve it. We actually put that out to our team members and said, look, we want to offer flexibility. We need ideas and thoughts and creativity about how it would work. What is the commitment? Uh, how do we do this? What's what's the guardrails mm -hmm. uh, for team members, for leaders and all of that? And they actually bubbled all that up. We opened it up to a firm wide open discussion uh, on our intranet and captured all of that. And they came up with commitment, communication, and trust as the three pillars. And we, we then rolled out unri fearless, unrivaled flexibility. And there's reasons why we named it that, but fearless, unrivaled flexibility is what we did. Well, this, this was a dramatic change in how we did business. And so um, I knew that it's going to fail if middle management doesn't buy in. The managers touch people every moment, every day. The partners are touching people every minute, every day. So I put together a tour across the firm where I met with all the partners and managers in the firm. It was generally a two-hour meeting. We went through what we thought, one, why we were doing it, how we were going to do it, uh, what best practices would be. And we own the fact that we're going to make mistakes. Our people are going to make mistakes and we're going to learn how to do this together. Well, the first hour of that meeting, I was in that meeting with my hands tied together <laughs> with rope. And of course, everybody's dying to ask, you know, why do you have your hands tied together with nobody does? Uh, so we go about an hour in and then this kind of warm up and and somebody finally says, all right, Joey, why have you got your hands tied together with that big rope? And I said, because this is where we hand it off. That the board and the leadership team is behind this initiative, but this initiative does not work. My hands are tied. It does not work if you don't embrace it and you don't promote it and live it. In fact, part of the deal is they, your, our team has to see you doing flexibility. Our team has to see you leaving early. Our team needs to see mm -hmm. you going to the kindergarten graduations. 
Or they won't believe it. Seeing is believing. Right. right. Walk the talk. And so and, that was very, yeah, it was very effective in, in people's minds. Well, it was such a great visual. And and it's it doesn't surprise me that no one at the, at first said, why are you, why are you? Why are your hands tied? Why are you? What's, what, what's with the rope? It's also because you, you're the the managing partner, senior managing partner of the firm, and there's a little bit of I'm not sure what to say in this situation because there is that going back to a few moments ago that fear, the conflict avoidance. Yeah. Um, although you know, I always felt like I was pretty open, and people would approach me pretty easily. But what I've learned is you you don't get to decide if you're intimidating or not. That's what other people get to decide. And so uh, a piece of it was that, but it was also, they were giving me the benefit of good intentions. They they knew me well enough that I had some story behind that. I mean, they they just didn't want to steal the thunder in some ways. They knew Joey's going to tell us why his hands are tied. <laughs> But nobody came out beforehand. It, it, it took away an hour to kind of loosen up before somebody. Yeah, but usually, yeah, sometimes 30 minutes in, sometimes a full hour in, but somebody always asks. Well, so along those same lines, what's the hardest step that, that managers or leaders have to do in order to um, create a new culture? Because, you know, change, you know change is a, is a word that nobody likes. Some people see it as a hindrance. Others like yourself and myself see it as an opportunity. So how do you get them to change? Well, I mean, as John Maxwell says, and I believe this is very accurate, and I love John Maxwell. Uh, you know, he says people change when they incur enough pain. They learn enough that they see the benefits of changing. Or three, they're receiving enough that they want to continue to receive. And so they they make that change so they can continue to receive those benefits. So when I go back to that and think about that, as far as I'm going to pause here, because I lost my train of thought on what your question was. It, it was, it was oh, the hardest step. Yeah, yeah, the hardest step. So going back to our earlier thoughts around it's not about how good your culture is how good can it be how good does it need to be to move forward and the hardest step is so reverse mindset in other words can you go negative enough can you be open-minded enough can you be objective enough to really evaluate your culture, take the strengths and play them even bigger, but take those things that are not smelling so good and go to work on them and report them transparently to your team because that is what starts to build a magnetic energy. When your team sees you be transparent about what's not great in the culture, mm -hmm. they join hands and start to help build that. They want to make the culture better. It's the openness of leaders to do that in order to get buy-in. And, 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 that, and that seemed to be the, 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 well, this is what I'm telling you to do, but I'm not, but I expect different from you. But it's two pieces. It's leaders being vulnerable enough to say, mm -hmm. okay, we don't have it all figured out. 
that's number one. But number two, and, and really is the first part of it is, can you go negative enough? Can you be objective about your culture? Because remember, it's just like driving. If you have 300 people in the room and you say, how many of you are better than the median driver in the room? 80 to 90% of the people are going to say they're better than the median driver, but we can't all be. The same thing in culture, 90 90 to 95% of people will say their culture is good or better. Right. But then once they take a hard look at it and start peeling back the onion and, and looking deep into the whole organization itself and exposing those areas of, of concern. It's hard to do. And that's actually one of, when I do a presentation on the book, uh, probably the most valuable thing we do is the thing uh, that some people might, I, I, I said this in Chicago, I said, you may feel like this is a little bit like hot yoga. <laughs> hot yoga was the longest hour of my life, 58 <laughs> minutes of pure hell. And my wife wanted to know if I was coming again. I said, no, I'm never going to do that again. Well, the reflection opportunity I carry people through on culture is I ask a lot of questions about, have you thought about this? Have you measured this? Have you sliced and diced it? And when you start peeling, I love your illustration about peeling the onion back because like, okay, you've got good culture, but does everybody have the same experience? And is that experience consistent? What about your underrepresented group? What about your women? What about your turnover for the firm? You know, making no excuses about this person didn't belong or that person, voluntary, involuntary, all turnover. What does that look like? What does it look like for women? What does it look like for unrepresented groups? Have you ever measured your sense of belonging? Uh, what percentage of your team does have a strong sense of belonging? Have you reported that? And then are, are you doing things to increase that sense of belonging? Time for a quick commercial break. Offscript, Mastering the Art of Business Improv is available on Amazon in paperback and Kindle version. If you want to learn more about the book or order a copy, go to offscriptimprov.com and order your copy by clicking the click to order button. If you want to buy 10 or more books, please contact me to offer you a bulk discount. You can reach me through my email at peter at petermargaritas.com. Like what you just heard, visit c-suiteradio.com. C-Suite Radio, turning the volume up on business. So you go through this process, and there was a lot of angst. I mean, the, the timeline, it, it wasn't, it, it didn't happen in a year. It, it, it took you, fill in my blank there for me, please. <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, look, culture is not a destination magnetic culture great culture better culture is not a destination it is an opportunity every day to start the game ahead and to continue to be in the lead continue to be that attractive uh, workplace but it, it's something you have to work on every day it has to be you have to be intentional when i sign a book one of the two words you're going to find in there is be intentional because leadership and the whole, the team members, every, every voice counts and everybody has to be intentional around. So does being intentional also mean creating a, creating a, a help to create a culture that has psychological safety in it, where your voice is heard. You're not ridiculed, ridiculed for what your thoughts and beliefs are. 
And it's not good. Well, for the most part, it's not going to show up on a performance evaluation unless you go, you know, maybe completely off the rails. Yeah, every, uh, every voice counts. And that means that they have to have opportunities to express their opinion and feel safe doing that. Um, when you start measuring a sense of belonging, that's that psychological safety. People in an organization can never reach its full potential unless they have a strong sense of belonging. When people have that, they associate more meaning to the work. They associate more purpose to what's going on. That's where the magnetic energy comes in. That's that's what I call discretionary effort. That's when your team makes innovation, creativity. They make things happen because they can see they're not in it alone. And they can see that they're building something bigger than themselves. And everybody really has that innate uh, desire to do that. So I, I do a, a creativity innovation workshop and I, especially with it, when I do it with accountants and I ask them, how many of you uh, feel like you're creative? Not like cook the books creative, but really creative. I get maybe two or three hands that go up out of 30, 40, 50 people. And then, oh, I, I, I worded the question wrong. How many of you all have ideas? And all these hands go up. So, well, then you all are creative. What's keeping you from being creative? Because the iPhone was an idea. You know, the steam engine was an idea. Computers were an idea. What's holding you back? And it comes back to that psychological safety. I, I don't want to make a career limiting mistake or say something that could be perceived wrong. And I went, well, that's the culture issue. Yes, it goes to uh, the business model. Like, what are we measuring? What are we telling people it takes to be successful? I mean, I will tell you the number one thing that our associates and supervisors and managers would tell us is in public accounting, the chargeable hour is the number one thing that determines your worth. Yeah, it would be by far. Now, people may run from that. They may deny it. But I, I've literally talked to thousands of professionals in our profession, and they'll tell you at a 90 percent clip in my firm. Uh, chargeable hours uh, or they may say utilization or realization, but it's all driven by that hour. Well, when people know that's what you measure, they're going to make the work fit that. Yeah. Uh, and there's no incentive for them to really be innovative and creative. And now the gap between what's possible and what that young first year associate can do and what the manager or partner thinks can be done is pretty wide gap. I saw this happen uh, in real life as uh, it was happening outside my office a couple of years ago. And the manager, oh, it was actually a partner. A partner was giving some work to a first year associate and said, look, this is what all needs to be done. This is what needs to happen. This has got to be downloaded. I want this worksheet. These are the key things I need. Uh, we've got about 16 hours, a couple of days in the budget for this. And you get this started and uh, get back with me, get it to a, a good sound spot. Well, the young associate was back in the office in less than two hours with it all done. And 
they were very skilled at some of the tables and algorithms in Excel and simply knocked it out. Okay. So we've got that whole technical ability, the whole knowledge gap on technology and automation and all of that going on, which is making our lives that much more complex. And when our business model says that what we're worth is based on time, mm. we're upside down in an exponential world. Yeah. And, and let me ask you this. It, it, it's kind of goes along the same, same line of thought. So when we talk about value and we talk about culture and we talk about all these things, but a, a manager or a partner might look at a bill and go, I can't build this whole thing. I got to give it a haircut. And I, sometimes I go, well, why can't you build it all? Well, the customer won't, client won't pay it. Well, how, how do you, it goes back to conflict of voice. How do you know that? And, and it comes down to, how are you, how are you communicating your value to the client? And I think that, that ability to communicate one's value that they bring to the client has a lot to do with the culture that has been created. Yes. I mean, uh, most of it is Bill and Duck and Bill and Duck. <laughs> yes. In other words, we don't agree with the client, what the work is worth. What's the deliverable worth before we do the work. And um, so we're doing all of this psychological, wow, it took a lot longer than we thought and all of this. And again, there was no incentives to get it done quickly anyway. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, all of that, and of course, this is off on business model in public accounting, but yeah. all of that is upside down. I mean, one of the greatest needs in the profession is for partners to have education and build a pricing skill set. And I personally believe that no partner should be able to price alone. You should not be able to commit the resources of a firm uh, to a price by yourself. It's a collaborative effort. Yes, because you'll get a better, you'll, you'll get a better answer for the client and you'll get a better answer for the firm when you collaborate on that and include the client in the collaboration, by the way. That was, I'm glad you said that because that was a question that I had in my mind earlier. When you're going through this whole process of change and changing the culture of the firm, did you bring clients in to get feedback, did like a, a focus group or something of your, of your top 20 clients? We actually didn't own the culture because we, we call, we, we formed these circles of belonging we had this, these belonging teams and we used it. Um, it got to be an honor to be on one of those teams, you know, and, and those team members got feedback from other team members and they met. In fact, the first year or two, I met with every one of them myself because I wanted them to know how important it was to the future of the firm. And then as we gained confidence and got better at it, we were able to put different leaders in that and continue that, that moving forward. On the client side, on the business model part, what we did on the pricing strategies is that we only price the new work. In other words, if we had been doing work for a client for 20 years, we stayed with that while we learned how to have the conversations about what is, what's the deliverable, what's the work to your business and 
doing what we call fixed pricing and doing mm-hmm. that on the front end. I don't know if this is an easy question to answer or not, of, uh, but during this process, what was one of the hardest things you had to do in, in changing this culture? What was some pivotal moment or, or something along those lines? Because you said, you know, you said, you know, when you change, you go down into this hole, everything kind of goes down. You get down to when you when you hit rock bottom. You what go was into that? the swamp. <laughs> you go yeah. into the swamp and you wonder, why did we decide to do this? Are we really going to get the benefits that we anticipated? And you always have challenges that you and you always make mistakes that you hadn't anticipated. But then as you start to make progress, you can start to see the, the, the next hilltop and you can start to breathe a little easier. You know, we had, as you well know, you read the book, we had a number of, of downtimes. I, I would say for me personally, there were two that come to mind. The first one being uh, the very first toxic leader that I had to really um, approach and work through to where it was a win for them, a win for the firm, and they were no longer with the firm. Mm -hmm. Um, That was, uh, you know, somebody that I'd worked with for nearly uh, 20 years. Yeah. Um, But it was just not going to work. And again, it's never afterwards. I always want to like to share this. Afterwards, it's never, gosh, I wish I hadn't done that. It's always, I should have done that two years earlier. Because again, the energy that came from the team and from the other partners and the other managers in that focus area was just tremendous. It changed them overnight. You know, they had a new lease on life. So, but that that's very hard because you, you've got uh, someone that's helped grow the business. You've got somebody that's committed their life to the business um, and you've got to look out for their family. And so we, we always look at the best way possible to make that a win-win, but that nothing can be harder than having that discussion, but it's harder on him or her than it is on me. But that is a low point. I mean, yeah. that is like, gosh, this is hard. Um, but we know it's the right thing to do. Uh, the other is when we're making those investments and uh, in our journey, we went through uh, almost a year where we failed on some investments that we had made and we failed on any big wins. And so we had incurred uh, not only the investment we were making in people, but the investment we're making in technology and we lost on three or four really big opportunities that if we just hit one of them and we should have, um, it got us in a, a tight financially just to where it put a lot of pressure on the partner group. Like they had grown accustomed to some pretty nice numbers yeah. uh, from a profitability standpoint. And there our growth stalled and our profitability went down. And so for me, as a leader and feeling responsible for that in the board, that was a low point and a tough, tough time because it um, it seemed like it took us a full year to get that in-wheel going again. Okay, so let's look at the other side of that coin. So the culture's in place. 
lack of a better, you've launched this new culture. What did it do to the business model? What did it, and, and percentage wise, what did it do to, to the revenue stream? What did it do overall for the firm in that first year to 18 months after it was set in place? Well, I mean, that's one of the things that may have been a coincidence, uh, but if you know, if you read the book, I don't truly believe that they're <laughs> coincidence. I believe God had his hand on our firm in many ways, did some amazing things. But in the first 24 months after we, we stood in front of the firm and told everybody culture would be number one. It'd be our number one strategy. It's our number one focus. Uh, we're going to be very transparent about what we're going to be working on and, and why. And if that means we get smaller first, that's fine. But we are going to be who we say we are. And we're going to honor those core values of God, family, service, and gratitude. And that's going to drive our decision making. And that was certainly an exciting time. Uh, it was also a scary time. But in the next 24 months, our firm, for the first time in any two year period, we had double digit growth back to back. We grew 20% in two years, which was part of the why. In saying, you know, if we get culture right, we believe we can have exponential growth. We believe we'll have the talent, the resources, the innovation, the creativity, and our client service will get better. Before, we always said client service, client service, client service. Mm -hmm. And the heck with the team members, we client service is the reason we're in business. I know you've never heard that, Peter. <laughs> never. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we flipped that around and we said culture is going to be number one. And what we realized is that when people understand you care about them, they'll care about the clients uh, and they will. Our client service got better and better and better. I've never heard someone say, you know, what? we put our people first and our business fell apart. Yeah, I've never I've never heard that. And, and it goes back to Richard Branson and what, what he treats, you know, was it Virgin Airlines? He doesn't worry about the customers. He worries about the people he hires. If I hire the right people, put them in the right spots, they will take care of the customers. Amen. And, but just on, on, a, on a little bit of a recent note lately is that this this culture it's run by um, the, the it's run by the farmers, it's run by the people within the firm who, who buy into that culture. And during the pandemic, you know, we had to go remote. And then after the pandemic, as we're coming out of it, you know, some came back hybrid. Some leaders demanded that everybody come back in force. And that led to the great resignation. I think that's what we were calling it at the time. Uh, and then, then all of a sudden I heard two night, a couple, was it maybe it was last Sunday or something that, um, a lot of organizations and back to demanding the in the word is demanding that their people come into the office. I'm going, won't you guys pay attention? Or is that just, or is that just the, the leader's ego that he, in order to see productivity, I have to see, I have to see cheeks in the seats. Well, um, I, I personally think it's a huge mistake. Um, I think there are roles and activities and mandatory meetings. And I think there's a rhythm uh, that you do need to find that one helps people grow in their career and helps uh, client service and you reach your goals. But 
but the leader that says everybody's going to got to come back and we're going to be here eight to five, five days a week, be careful who does come back. And even uh, when the stars show back up, be careful how many of them go on and put their resume out there and begin actively looking because short term, okay, you're probably going to win the race a little bit short term. You are not going to win the race long term. And if you're also counting on the recession or a slower economy, getting the leverage back to the employer, it's not going to happen. People, they're, we're in a new world. We're in an exponential world, a digital transformation, and people have different values and different viewpoints on flexibility is more than where they work. It is where they work, when they work, and how they work. It's right. all three. And flexibility is unique to the individual. It's unique to their role. Uh, I mean, at Horn, we've got some roles that are client-facing five days a week. Uh, so two things have to happen. One, the team members that sign up for that need to understand that's the role. They need to be compensated uh, for those sacrifices. And then we we have to build in shadowing and and the ability for team members to replace them so that they can have some flexibility in their life. But people want autonomy and, and owners hate to hear that word, but it's autonomy and giving feedback and having influence into when, where, and how I work so that even on a weekly basis, Peter, think about how much your personal life changes on a weekly basis, what you need to do in your career, and having the influence and the ability to manage that and have your schedule work out where you can make the kindergarten graduation, you can deal with elder care, you can do these things and meet your client obligation and your team obligations. Well put. Uh, Joey, I can't thank you enough. But before we sign off here, how can people find you? Well, people can find me on uh, all the social media, but um, if you want to email me, you can email me at joey at joeyhavens.com or joey.havens at horn, H-O-R-N-E.com. Uh, but I'm on LinkedIn and Twitter. And uh, then my book, uh, Leading with Significance, is available in almost all the retailers and um, books a million uh, Amazon, Google Books, um, Bookshop, uh, Walmart. Uh, so uh, if you're interested in the book, I uh, would certainly encourage you to, to place an order in its own Kindle and audio also. Uh, I'll make another plug. It's worth the investment. <laughs> every every penny of it. And, and actually, uh, I just, I was out, on Amazon uh, the other day, I went, oh, he's got it on audiobook. I got I to gotta listen to him. Now, do you read the book? No, no. Oh, I was hoping to hear your voice through that, that, that process. Uh, okay. Uh, so I just, I was scared to tackle that. And we, the publisher and I had a long discussion about that, but we decided let's go with a professional reader. Okay. Okay. Well, I can't thank you enough. And um, hopefully, you know, I, I was supposed to be at Engage this year at the same time, but I was coming back from a week with masters of accounting students at Disney and to make that quick turnaround. I knew I wasn't going to be worth it, but I hope our paths 
eventually cross real soon this year because um, I mean, I've met you through Zoom and stuff. Um, and I just love the work that you're doing. And uh, I can't wait to sit down and have an adult beverage with you and just chat for a bit. Absolutely. I look forward to that, too. I can't thank you enough for this opportunity. And let me say this. You get you a group of those, uh, you know, undergraduate or master students together and you want to do a Zoom and let's have a little session with them. I'm all in for you. Oh, you, you're in. Uh, we'll, we'll get that done uh, this this fall. I'm gonna I definitely really love that. I love helping uh, those young professionals understand that public accounting is a great choice and a great story. Uh, I will. I will be back in touch. I will be back. And I'm going I'm to send a note to the department head when we're done here, and we're going to get them get them thinking. And yeah, I'll get back in touch with you about that. And thank you for and, and thank you very much for that for that opportunity. Absolutely. Thank you. And again, I would like to thank Jory for sharing his thoughts on building a sustainable culture that thrives in all environments. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Audible, iHeartRadio, or your favorite podcast platform. Also, please subscribe to and share this podcast episode with a friend. Also, please visit my YouTube channel, Peter A. Margarita, CSP, CPA, Biz Improv Virtuoso, where you can see previous podcast video episodes along with this one. And while you're there, just hit the subscribe button so you won't miss any updates. And always remember, there are people who prefer to say yes, and there are people who prefer to say no. Those who say yes are rewarded by the adventures that they have, and those who say no are rewarded by the safety they obtain. Be a yes person, and thank you for listening. Like what you just heard, visit c-suiteradio.com. C-Suite Radio, turning the volume up on business. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.